I want to pray with you. Plunge into our teaching today. Dear God, lead us, lead us. You're the shepherd, we're the sheep, we're the followers. We follow you. Make it clear how to follow. As we get into the word together right now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's do some astronomy together before we do this one-line prayer. The implausible prayer we're calling it. Do you know what the word implausible means? I mean, if you Google the word implausible, you get a box of, uh, you get a box of synonyms. Improbable, doubtful, unlikely, nearly impossible. I'm telling you what. That prayer will seem almost impossible after we do our astronomy together. So we've been getting a lot of this lately. I suppose every six months we're going to get a new announcement. But just two months ago, astronomers announced to us that they have now found the farthest, oldest galaxy in the universe. 13.1 billion light years away. Do you know how far 13.1 billion is? Let me put it on the screen for you. This is, it's, it's all infrared. That's what the Hubble telescope with the, with the Keck uh, uh, Observatory in Hawaii collaborating this, what are they calling this thing? The, uh, the ultra-deep field exploration. So there is, that's an enlarged portion of that sky. The name, they've, they've given it the name Z8GND5296. So an artist said, I think I got, an, I got a handle how this looks. So I want you to take a look at that. That's an artist's rendition of this, the furthest in the universe galaxy. Isn't that stunning? I mean, come on, look at that. Look at that. So as, as I'm hearing this news, I, I go to Google. What would we do without Google? So I said, Google, how many, how many galaxies are there in the whole universe? Tell me how many galaxies. So Google takes me to uh, a theoretical astrophysicist who specializes in cosmology. That would be origins. His name is Ethan Siegel, and he now considers conservatively the number to be about 176 billion galaxies. Galaxies, all right? 176 billion. But hold on to your pew, because he says that with further exploration by the Hubble Extreme Deep Field Studies, and with the new James Webb Space Telescope, have you heard about this? This thing is coming. It will be, it, it will be more sensitive than the Hubble by a factor of 100. 100 times more sensitive. He says, when we get that going, he says, I imagine we're going we're to discover about a trillion galaxies in our universe. A trillion galaxies. So I said, okay, now, how many stars would that make? So I go back to Google. And I ask Google how many stars are in the universe. So Google takes me to a piece uh, from... Uh, uh, eight weeks ago, the Atlantic.com, Megan Garber is the author. She writes, there are roughly a septillion stars in the observable universe. A septillion stars. Do you know how much a septillion is? A septillion is a one with 24 zeros on it. That is a septillion. That's how many stars astronomers are suggesting are now in the observable universe that you and I inhabit. And what is it, by the way, what does the Bible tell us about these septillion stars? Take a look at this. This would be the 147th Psalm. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. Now watch this, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars and He calls them each by name. Can you imagine? A septillion, 24 zeros, stars, and he has named each one. And you know what? If he's named the stars, you've got to believe he's named the galaxies, a trillion galaxies to boot. Come on. 
I mean, you're talking about implausible. So what's more implausible? Close to a trillion galaxies with the septillion stars that are spread across the universe that has a radius, by the way, of 45.7 billion light years. That's just the radius. Or how about, it, how about the pronouncement that the creator God who rules this universe has personally named those septillion scars, stars, which is more implausible? Please. We're dealing with implausibility. But you want, to, you want to see something implausible, even more implausible? Open your Bible. This is the implausible prayer. Open your Bible with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm in the NIV today. You've got your, uh, you got your tablet. You've got your, your, your smartphone. That's okay. That's okay to have those. But don't forget, to have the leather bound, that's, that's kind of the, that's the, that's the raised bar. You've got to have your own. You've got to be able to mark your Bible. You have got to be able to hear God speak to you, not just electronically, but just where you can, when you can, you can respond to him. Yeah, well, you've got your own Bible anyway. This is Ephesians chapter 3. I want to pick it up in verse 14. You didn't bring a Bible, pull the pew Bible out in front of you. It will be page 787 in the pew Bible. Let's go. For this reason, I, Paul, Paul's in prison in Rome. For this reason... The Apostle Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Hit the pause button right there. Isn't that something? Out of his glorious riches. So I, so I, I ought to go to Google. We ought to go to Google and say, okay, Google, how much is the entire universe worth? It's all his, out of his glorious riches. So Karen and I have in worship last night. We like to sing through the hymnal now and then. And so we come to this song. My father is rich in houses and lands. Do you know that one? He holds a whole, the wealth of the world in his hands. You've heard that? I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. You've heard that, yeah. I mean, you can sing that again. Out of his glorious, out of his glorious riches. Wow. Pick it up again. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Hit the pause button right there. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the implausible prayer. It's implausible because can you believe this? This single, simple, one-line prayer suggests that the God who rules a trillion galaxies and is named a septillion stars... has come out of heaven, come down to this little planet. And if you can believe this, this is why it's so implausible. He, he, he not only wants to, he not only hopes to, he not only desires to, but he seeks to move in to you. He wants to share the rest of the journey with you. The astounding and improbable, nearly impossible thought. Let's scribble it down. Before, before it gets a moment beyond us. Grab your uh, study guide out of your uh, worship program today. Grab your study guide, and let, let's jot this down. Thank you, ushers. If you didn't get a study guide, there's several uh, quotations coming up that I hope you'll keep, give you a chance to kind of ruminate over them. Hold your hand up. Our friendly ushers are coming your way in the balcony as well. And those of you who are watching, we're delighted to have you right now. Let me put the uh, live streaming, let me put the, the, the website for those of you watching on television. Live streaming, you already know the website. Put the address on the screen. You see it there now, www.pmchurch.tv. All right? So you're going to pmchurch.tv. 
and you're looking for this little mini-series, we're calling this, what, this is just a little three-parter. Last week was The Impossible Dream, today The Implausible Prayer, and uh, the next one, the final one will be The Impregnable Gift. We're calling this little mini-series, How to Be More Like Jesus. Simple little title. But let, let, let's, let, let's get this uh, astronomy opening. Jot it down, please. Put it on the screen for you. The Creator and King who rules over a trillion. We'll go slow. Give you enough time to jot this down. Forget the zeros. Just write the word. The Creator and King who rules over a trillion galaxies and a septillion stars across, by the way, 45.7 billion light years. And some of you are putting this, doing it right now onto your tablet and your, and your smartphone. You can do that. You can just go there. You're on the website. Boom. And you can fill it out there. You don't even need the study guide. So the Creator and King rules over a trillion galaxies and a septillion stars across 45.7 billion light years. And oh, by the way, has named, jot that in, has, according to Psalm 147, he's named all the stars. This God has named all the stars and is supreme over them all, wants to live. I'm telling you, this is impossible. He wants to live. And can you believe this? You, all caps, you, you're the one he wants to move in with. If there were nobody else, it would be you. Can I move in with you? What? The implausible prayer. In fact, jot it down. Keep your pen moving. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It's a direct quote. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. By the way, would you scribble this down in the margin because it's not in your study guide? Would you scribble this down in your margin? The Greek for the word to dwell, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Here's the Greek. It means to be at home. That Christ may be at home. I mean, he may take up residence. That Christ may be at home with you. This, this nearly impossible prayer not only declares that our Creator and the supreme ruler of this universe has come down to earth but it declares that after he became one with us as a human being, he dies as if there were no one else to die for except you or me. He dies for us and becomes our Redeemer. And the whole first chapter of Ephesians has been dealing with Jesus on the cross. This being desires to make his home in, can, can you believe this, in my heart, in your heart. He wants to live with you. Please. You, gotta be, you have the wrong address. You don't mean me, do you? No, I mean you. So Paul is essentially saying this. Would you jot this down? This is, this is the prayer Paul is praying. It might be easier for you and me to remember. May your heart become his home. May your heart become his home. Is that so far-fetched? Is that so implausible a notion? I mean, apparently Jesus doesn't think so. Look at this. Jesus, this is, uh, this is less than 24 hours. He'll be dead in 24 hours. Less than 24 hours before his execution, John chapter 14, the upper room, 11 of his friends left. Jesus replied to them, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them. Read that next line out loud with me. We will come to them and make what? Make our home. We will come and make our home with them. Would you jot that down, please? Jesus is saying, hey, we... I'm talking about the Father and me. We will come to you and make our home with you. Implausible. Not quite impossible, but almost. Almost on the verge. I mean, God. A trillion galaxies, septillion stars, and you want to come and make your home. 
So, okay, let's, let's just try to imagine this. So, so let's say tomorrow night. Not tonight, but tomorrow night. Wherever you live, your dormitory room, your trailer in the community, your apartment, your home, wherever, you hear a knock at the door. That's tomorrow night, okay? Tomorrow night, a knock at the door. Maybe in your house it's a doorbell. Whatever. It rings. Somebody makes his or her presence known at your door. So you go to the door. You run to the door. Some of you are yeah, well, I don't run to the door. I just take my time. I go to the door. So you go to the door. You open the door, and there he stands. He's standing in front of you. You've seen, enough, you've seen enough pictures, artist renditions of Jesus in your childhood. You've seen enough pictures to know that's exactly who this is. And then you see the purple scars on his hands, and you see the, the twinkling eyes behind the smile, almost as if you didn't expect me to show up. Now, did you? He's standing there. You're not doing it. He's just standing there. What are you going to do next? I mean, if Jesus showed, tomorrow night, if Jesus showed up where you live on your doorstep, you open the door, and he's there, what are you going to do next? I think most of us, come on, I think most of us, as soon as we collected our, our spinning thoughts, took our jaw off the floor and began to breathe again, I think we'd have that presence of mind, Lord, uh, would you like to come in? He says, yeah, I was kind of hoping you'd ask. He walks into where you live. Then what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? I mean, come on, what are you going to do next? He's there. That's what Paul is saying. Get off of this pie-in-the-sky, namby-pamby stuff. This, this is it. The God who rules a trillion galaxies and has named a septillion stars wants to come down that he may dwell in your hearts by faith. Hey, put, put, put the words on the screen. Jesus said, we will come to you and make our home with you. Paul says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. <laughs> wow. Uh, pick it up in verse 16 again. So I pray, Paul praying for you and me, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And, oh, by the way, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. Your translation may say, saints, this is the new NIV, and it says all the Lord's holy people. I pray that you may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know, verse 19, this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Wow. I mean, please. Bruce Runk, retired English professor here at Andrews University, died this week after waging a valiant battle. A few nights ago, I went to visit his widow in their home. I know Bruce Rock. We have visited together. We have talked together. We have prayed together before he was this sick. But as I sat down with his widow, Judy, in their home, on their couch, and she began to tell the story of the final days and the final hours with Bruce, I'm telling you what, I saw something, I heard something I have never seen or heard before, and I've been around a few grief and heartbroken journeys. I listened to this woman, and I said, can you believe this? I listened to this woman give testimony right there, authentic, the real deal. She has no reason to be putting on some air. She began to give the testimony. She said, my tears are gone. I just, my heart is broken. 
But she began to give testimony to what the love of God means to her right now. And she said, Dwight, I can sense him around me. I, I sense the sustaining of his love. And she talked again and again of his love. When I drove away from that home, I'm saying to myself, God, have you heard a witness to your love like that in the crucible of suffering? And that's what Paul is saying. He said, hey, listen, guys, I, I am praying for you. I am praying that somehow you might understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. That it would just, it would, it would just, it will permeate to your very DNA. Do you understand? A trillion galaxies, a septillion stars, he's named them all, but he's come down and knocked. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice, open the door. I'm in. He doesn't kick the door down. You don't want him. He won't come in. Do you understand that when he comes in, you get, you get the almighty and omnipotent ruler of the 45.7 radius billion light years of this universe to walk in and say, it's just you and me now. You open the door, he steps in. What next? This love. I mean, Paul says, I wish you would brood over it. I wish you would just... Don't be such a hurry when you worship alone with Jesus. Slow down. I want you to get how, how, how wide and how long and how high and how deep this love is. Desire of Ages describes what happens when you brood over God's love. And I love this line. I have it written in my Bible. The contemplation of the love of God. Write that down, please. The contemplation of the love of God will stir the heart and arouse the powers of the soul as nothing else can. <laughs> Are you getting this? I was back in my office praying between services and I said, dear God, I hope something gets through here and I don't want to be in the way of whatever it is. Somehow begin to dawn upon our, our minds the immensity of this offer for you to come in and your love to permeate and I saw it in Judy. I saw it. I saw it in operation. It really does work. So how does a teenager, how does a young adult, how does a man, how does a woman? What happens when Christ dwells in their hearts, in our hearts? When Christ makes his home in us by faith, what happens? The writer Frederick Beekner, have you ever heard of him? I think one of the greatest writers of the, of the past century. I love him. I have a, I have a, a bunch of his books. And whenever Beekner writes, and whenever I read what he writes, it just stirs up the recesses of my mind and my soul, as no other writer does. So Frederick Beekner, New England writer, still is in New England. In his little book, The Longing for Home, a little memoir he put together, he describes getting letters from his readers. So I'm going to read it. You won't see these words on the screen, but then suddenly they'll flash up and and uh, you'll have it. So he's, uh, this is Frederick Beekner. I receive maybe three or 400 letters a year from strangers who tell me that the books I have spent the better part of my life writing have one way or another saved their lives, in some cases literally. And he writes, I am deeply embarrassed by such letters. 
I think, if they only knew that I am a person more often than not just as lost in the woods as they are, just as full of darkness, in just as desperate need, I think, if I only knew how to save my own life, they write to me as if I'm a saint. And I wonder how I can make clear to them how wrong they are. But what I am beginning to discover is that in spite of all that, there is a sense in which they are also right. Now the words come on the screen for you. In my books, now get this, in my books and sometimes even in real life, I have it in me at my best to be a saint to other people. And by saint, I mean life giver, someone who is able to bear to others something of the Holy Spirit. Now, hold on, here it comes. Sometimes, by the grace of God, I have it in me to be Christ. Would you write that in, please? To be Christ. I have it in me to be Christ to other people. Now, there's a thought. To be Christ. You be Christ to other people. And then he goes on, look, 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 look. And I'm not just talking about me. And of course, have we all, have we all, have we all it in us? The life-giving, the life-saving, the healing power to be saints, to be Christ. Write that in. Put the S at the end of it this time. To be Christ. Multiple Christ. Multiple Christ. Have we all this, this, this ability to be Christ? Maybe, and this is provocative. Maybe at rare moments to be Christ even to ourselves. Maybe Jesus will speak a word to you through you. I tell you what, when, when this implausible prayer comes true, may Christ dwell in your heart by faith, may your heart become his home, then in a very real, in a very even palpable sense, your life becomes Christ. You become Christ to those around you. Come on, no, no, you're not Christ. He's not, Beekner's not suggested that. You're not divine. We all understand that. But Paul declares in verse 19, we just read it, by the way, that we can be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. That can, God can be in his fullness inside of us. So what Beekner is saying is, and jot this down with you, when Christ dwells within us, he spreads himself around us. I get students who write me and say, oh, pastor, we need a revival here at Andrews University. Well, good on you. Yes, we do. Be happy to have a revival every day until Jesus comes. But when there is a revival, the Christ in you becomes the Christ to others. That's how you change. That's how cultures are shifted. The Christ in you enables you to become Christ to others. When Christ dwells within us, he spreads himself around us. As Beekner muses, we, we have it in us to become Christ to other people. It must be what Stuart Devonish was talking about in that quotation we shared last week. Let me put it back on the screen, that, 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 uh, those two lines. Every Christian generation has produced two kinds of Christians, the common ordinary garden variety and those who have discovered the deeper life, a life that reflects a deep experience of Christ-likeness. That's what Paul's talking about. He said, I want Christ to live in you. I want him to come inside of you. You're going to be Christ to the world. That's how Jesus touches the world through you. And that, my friends, I don't mind telling you, that, my, that is the grand goal of the everlasting gospel. That's it. That's it. I want to be Christ in you. Let me, come on. Come on, Dwight. Can I come in? I want to be Christ through you, to your world, to this campus, to this community, wherever you go. There goes Christ. I want to be Christ in you. That's the gospel. 
Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. Come on, if you're a boomer, you grew up singing that little chorus. Be Christ. Be Christ. Wow. No wonder Paul prays, may your heart become his home. And by the way, did you notice that this is a collective invitation? This is not a private invitation. It's, it's collective. Put the words on the screen, please. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, plural. Notice, it's a plural. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, Andrews University, Pioneer Church. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The implausible prayer is not for individual Christians as much as it is for the collective community of Christ believers. Mother Teresa, come on, let's think about Mother Teresa. By herself, she would have been nothing in comparison to that band of women she raised up to collectively love the unlovely and the unlovable. And it was when they lived out the radical love of Christ in community, in community, that the world was stopped in its tracks. Wow, look at that. That Christ may dwell in your hearts, plural, all of you. I'm praying for you, Paul says. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Oh, by the way, the grow groups of this church that Jordan just gave a beautiful testimony about, those grow groups are about collective. They're about shared. They're purposely designed so that what you experience is, is, is with a band of Christ followers, 15 to 20 people. You only meet in 10 weeks, just 10 weeks. It's over, and then you can meet a new band someday. But for 10 weeks, and Jordan was in that group, and I tell you, we had a bunch of college kids. Why? Because we're all in this. We had community. It's the mix together. Nobody's into this. Well, let's put all the college kids over here. They do their own thing and put the community over here. No, we're together. That's what the Grow Group was designed to do, to infect us collectively so that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. The intent of the DNA of every Grow Group is to bring the shape of Jesus, the image of Jesus into your life. That's what the Grow Group is for. This little catalog is filled with We have 75. When this thing went to press, we got, we got more now. You have to go online. You see, the, there's, a, there's an email address. Not an email. There's a website that you go to online. You get the expanded catalog. What's this about? People with similar interests say, hey, I, I want to get into that together. For 10 weeks, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Something happens when you come together. F.F. Bruce, the great New Testament scholar, in his marvelous book, Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Let me put this on the screen for you. You have to fill it in. I, I think Bruce is right on. It is Paul who gives distinctive expression to the idea of all believers, whatever their race, whatever their social status, united in a common... Would you write that down, please? United in a common life as fellow members of the body. Common, common. It's what we do together. Mother Teresa by herself would have been nothing. It's what she did in a, with a band of Christ followers that turned Calcutta upside down and the whole world sat up. United in a common life as fellow members of the body. Keep reading. The prime function of the indwelling spirit in the believing community, as in the individual believer, is for Paul the reproduction of the Christ-likeness in his people until the whole body corporate. There it is. It's, it's together it happens. That Christ may dwell in all of your hearts by faith. That the corporate attains the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that interesting? That's Ephesians 4. Ephesians 3 says the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. In Ephesians 4, he says, no, the fullness of Christ. That's what I want in you. Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. 
Our grow groups are designed to facilitate this very experience of growing in Christ-likeness. Which is why, come on, I am so eager. Look, there's nothing in it for me, please. There's nothing in it for the church. There are no offerings taken at this. It's not like we, get, we, get, we had, what, 800 last winter. If we, if we get more, nothing, none of that. This is about a church on a campus where people are serious about radical discipling, radical following of Jesus. That's what it's about. So if you've never, if you've never done a grove, come on, please. If you've never, oh, I'm going to wait. Oh, that was the alpha version, then the beta version. I want to get down gamma. No, maybe uh, delta. No. Sign up. If you've never signed up for a grow group, thank you, Jordan, for that invitation. Sign up. You've been to twice. You've been three times. This will be your fourth time. It's fine. Something happens that Christ dwells in your hearts, plural, by faith. We do a service project together in those ten weeks. We have a party together in those ten weeks. And we pray together every single night. We're just praying for each other. I'm telling you, something happens. Christ comes into that little community in common, the common life. Oh, you're going to love it. So, there you are. Jesus is at the door. You've opened the door. Jesus is standing there. What are you going to do? You're going to invite him in? Of course you are. Then what? Jesus says every morning. Hey, Dwight, every morning I'm going to be there. If you'll open this door up every morning, I'll come in for that day. Because yesterday's invitation doesn't cover today, and it won't cover tomorrow. It's today I'm talking about. Can I come in? I'm at the door knocking. Every morning. What was that prayer? May your heart become his home. Oh, I love that. May your heart become his home. Be Christ. This campus, this campus needs you. Be Christ as a staff member in this campus. Move about. Be Christ as a student. Be Christ as a faculty member. Be Christ. Come on in, Jesus. Come on in today. May your heart become his home. I want to end with a poem. My mother-in-law, God bless her. Years ago, she gave me this poem. I'm going to share it with you. It's written by John Gilbert. Mother's handwriting there at the bottom. If Jesus came to your house, that's the title of this. Listen up. If Jesus came to your house, here it goes. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve to him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your own home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they had been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard? And would you wish you hadn't uttered that last loud, hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could, Jesus, could you let Jesus walk right in? Or would you Hold it just a minute. Would you rush about? And I wonder if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you keep right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? 
Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you plan to go, or would you maybe change your plans for you know, just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends, or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on, or would you sigh with great relief when at last he was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus Christ in person came to spend some time with you. Let's pray. Just a pipe dream, Father, the wishful thinking. I mean, the ruler of a trillion galaxies and septillion stars coming down and knocking at our little door? As implausible as that might seem, Father, Apparently, this whole book is staked on that truth. And the passion, the prayer of the gospel is that Christ, may Christ dwell in your heart, in your hearts by faith. May my heart become your home. Father, I have one prayer for this university, for this worshiping congregation. One prayer. And that is that every heart, every heart, will throw the door wide open and become your home today and today and today until Jesus comes. We pray in his name. Amen. Hi, I'd like to take a moment to ask for your help. Currently, Pioneer is recording the programs at this website on 15-year-old analog cameras. Over the years, as the television standards have changed, we've adapted our cameras to the new standards. However, we're at the point now of no longer being able to cobble these cameras together. The reason? Because of the television industry's shift to high definition. As you can see, this camera is actually using parts from two separate cameras. In fact, we have some camera operators now who are younger than these cameras. The new high definition standard, or HD, is four times the resolution of our current cameras and employs the industry standard widescreen format. The sensors in these cameras are just not capable of producing that level of picture quality. New cameras are a huge investment for our small ministry, but we feel it's something that needs to be done as some of our major broadcast partners are now planning to shift to this standard. So I'm asking if you'd be willing to help. If the Spirit puts it on your heart, would you be willing to give some extra support to this ministry? Through your gifts, multiplied, I believe, exponentially by God's power, we can reach this end-time generation. So look, the process is simple. Just click on the link there on the website that says Make a Donation. You can give a single gift, or if you'd like to support us long-term, you can make that gift happen each month. If you'd rather speak with someone instead of using this uh, website, that's fine. Call our friendly operator's toll-free number. Let me put it on the screen here, 877, and the, t the two words, His Will, 877-HIS-WILL. And by the way, not a single dollar donated to this ministry or this project goes to me. Your gift will go straight to our mission. Thank you for your support. And as always, I hope I'll see you back here again at this site.